So good morning. It's a new day. That means new mercies. That's right. So if you have your Bible with you, and I always hope that you do, please go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament, uh, somewhere between Galatians and Ephesians, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We started a sermon series last week entitled Extraordinary, um, and Part of the motivation behind this, uh, you know, as I pray and God tells me what to preach and what to share and, and what the church is, uh, that I, I have this suspicion that if we were all to be honest, and we would, we, I think most of us would admit that we have settled or some of us have settled into a version of Christianity that's just kind of ordinary, a bit trivial perhaps, a bit uh, mundane. Um, so we, we kind of gotten used to it. If you've been a follower of Jesus for long, maybe you've gotten used to it. It no longer has that special ringing sense that it maybe did at one point. In other words, you've lost that loving feeling. So I want to try to recapture some of this as much as God will allow us to do, because when, when we lose that loving feeling, and when our Christian faith is just a bit ordinary, what happens is that that leads to what is a lethargic spiritual life. So spiritually, we begin to lose focus or to lack spiritual focus. We begin to lose spiritual energy in our lives. We Spiritually, we become lollygaggers where we just kind of go through the motions of church, through the motions of religion with little joy, with little passion. Spiritually, we go through this mental fog and this mental exhaustion, anyone know what I'm talking about? Mental fog? All right, so uh, I'm just going to share something that I've never shared publicly um, here. It, for the last several years, I was actually dealing with a lot of stuff, chronic, chronic fatigue. I don't mean your normal, you know, run of the mill, I'm tired. I'm talking about there was something else going on chronically tired, physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way, uh, emotionally bottomed out. Uh, it, you, know, it, it, you know, seasons are good and down, and the downs were getting a little bit further down, and the downs were getting a little bit longer, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, borderline depression, if not perhaps actually dealing with some clinical depression, fighting against it and all that, uh, not sleeping, not sleeping well, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a couple of maybe quasi-anxiety attacks, not sure what those were. And so when you've never gone through it, and it's not supposed to be you because you're a Christian and a pastor, like you, you said, well, I just kind of have to kind of you know, pull myself up by the bootstraps kind of stuff, and I have to kind of press through. Well, it started getting so bad, I started going to the doctor, and I went to the doctor twice. Something's wrong, so they checked the blood, you know, what are the hormone levels, what is the thyroid saying, and, and all this, and every, all the blood work was good. It was great levels, and everything's wonderful. You're just getting old, <laughs> is what they would say. And, and I, I literally looked at the guy, and I'm like, listen, I know I'm getting older, and I know I'm not going to feel 18, but what I'm experiencing, this is not getting older. I, I'm dealing with something else. This is pretty bad. Um, and so in the course of that, I happened to, you know, I'm talking to my sister, and she asked me, are you vitamin D deficient? And because she's my sister, and because it seems so absurd, I rolled my eyes internally, and I'm like, what's vitamin D got to do with all this stuff? I eat cheese. 
Like, I don't know. I don't, like, what's this got to do with anything? And so this is getting worse over a couple of years. And finally, this, this past summer, um, it, it, it was getting rough. It was getting bad. I was limping through every day, limping through every week, trying to hide it as much as I could because pastor can't be all strung out, right? Um, but in July, it got to the point where it's like something has to change. And I started doing some research. Long story short, since then, I added a vitamin D supplement. <laughs> I added a high-dose daily fish oil supplement. I added creatine to my supplementation, and I actually dramatically changed my diet, what I eat and when I eat it. Folks, and within eight days, I was a completely brand new individual. I felt like I had discovered plutonium, <laughs> the fountain of youth. I honestly, sincerely felt 10 years younger. I was able to sleep. The clarity came back energy all day long. It was amazing, all because I made a few tweaks to my diet, and I added a couple of things as supplements to it. I'm going somewhere with this. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that day, referring to believers, that we may have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly is translated from the Greek word parasos, which literally means extraordinary. What Jesus says in that verse is that I came that you may have an extraordinary life, not this ordinary life of mental fog and spiritual fatigue and emotional depression. I didn't come for that. I came that you would know God, know his word, abide in his promises, experience his presence. And there's nothing, there's nothing ordinary about that. That is extraordinary, right? But many of us are living in that ordinariness that common mundane, I'm strung out, worn out, tired. I don't see anything good happening in me. Where is God? What is, what is happening? I've got spiritual fog rather than spiritual clarity. I've got a spiritual melancholy instead of spiritual joy. I've got spiritual exhaustion instead of spiritual energy. So I propose this. We need to maybe change our diet and maybe add some unique supplementation. And I'm not talking about GNC trip. I'm talking about approaching God's word in a different way. I'm talking about feeding on God's truth, supplementing with the gospel daily. I think that if we do that, if we would just adjust our spiritual diet and our spiritual supplementation, we would begin to walk and live in the extraordinary life that Jesus offers. So that's what I'm hoping to do through this series. So we're camping out in, in various topics and, and things that I think are going to help us to deepen our faith so we can be closer to the Lord and walking in the, the strength and the power, the energy, the focus, uh, the passion that I believe that we should be living, living with because I don't think we need to be living beat up, I think that we need to be living lifted up. So that's what I'm trying to get to. So is anyone like up for this? All right. Well, maybe it's just me. Let's go to GNC. So last week, last week, we discussed the most extraordinary truth about God, and that is God is Trinity. The three in oneness of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's what we talked about. Today, we're discussing the extraordinary grace of God. So we are talking about 
the gospel. The reason many of us are feeling down and out and the reason many of us aren't experiencing the fruit in our lives that we should be experiencing is because we are, in fact, gospel deficient. It's not vitamin D deficiency. It's gospel deficiency. The word gospel means good news. It literally refers to this good news we have in Christ about God's grace. So some of us in this room perhaps have never actually been gripped by the gospel. Some of us have never actually gripped the gospel. You have to to grab it, receive it, digest it, metabolize it, internalize it, give yourself over to it. So that explains why for some people life is so ordinary and plain and mundane and tiring. Because there's no grace. Where's the gospel at? It's got to be alive in you. So the extraordinary life that, uh, that God offers cannot be enjoyed apart from the extraordinary grace that Jesus offers. Then there's the rest of us in the room. Those of us who are, in fact, true believers, followers of Christ. We've, we've proclaimed him as Lord of our life. And at some point that happened. And then since then, it's just kind of gotten lost in the background. It's old news, kind of got used to it. It's just static, right? So what you have to understand is that we can't abide in the extraordinary life that God gives us if we're not always appreciative of the grace that he has given to us. So what I want today to be more than anything is to serve as a reminder to us of what we have received in Christ if, in fact, we are a follower of Jesus. To, be, to feast on grace this morning. For us to actually supplement our hearts, our soul, with the very love that God gives and the mercy that he's provided. Sound good? All right. It better be. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Folks, that is a sobering, sobering picture of what it means to be human. It's not pretty. It is very different than the version that the world says about humanity. Because this is what the world says about us people. We're mostly good. I mean, there are a few bad eggs here and there, but most of us, most of the time, are mostly good. To which I say, at the very best, that is just simply wishful thinking, and more accurately, at worst, it's just delusional. It's fake news. It's what it is. Just just inventory the world around us. Just audit this world that we live in. Folks, we are committing suicide as a species. And we have been at this. We've been at this since the beginning. Sex trafficking. Millions of men, women, children every day year, grabbed, apprehended, and sold as slaves into that lifestyle. Biggest um, industry in the world, pornography. 
What does that tell? What does that say about us? It's not medicine. It's not even like energy and petroleum, folks. It's, it's pornography. By far, it dwarfs everything else. In the 21st century, what's going around the world? Genocide. There are people groups trying to exterminate other people groups on the planet. In the 21st century, I'm not talking about the dark ages. I'm talking about now, right now, on our planet, this is going on. Every day, millions, well, every year, millions of women, wives, battered, beaten, abused, feel trapped and can't get out. Millions of babies murdered every year. We hate people so much that we commit hate crimes and feel justified and sleep well at night. We hate people so much that we fake hate crimes so that the other people can get in trouble. Right? What does that say about us? Well, that's those people, right? Those are those people. Okay, um, have you ever thought about how you talk to your spouse in the cutting, jabbing words? Or how you speak and, and belittle your children? Or how your children speak to you? Think of the words that we say to one another. Hurtful words. I guarantee you everyone in here would raise their hand at a word that someone said to them in fifth grade that they still haven't gotten over it. And those words are biting and, and killing. They destroy the soul. We do this constantly. It's not them. It's all of us. By every measure, by every metric, by every reasonable human standard, we are far from mostly good. And that's the point of those three verses. It's calling attention that we, humanity, are absolutely wretchedly depraved. Welcome to Anthem Church this morning. <laughs> I'm going to tear you down only to build you up. It's like being in boot camp. We are wretchedly, completely depraved. And the thing is that the gospel does not make sense until that truth sinks in. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not make sense until you understand in graphic detail the wretched condition that each and every one of us is born into. I said that the word gospel means good news. Folks, you cannot have good news unless you have bad news. The verses there, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, tell us the bad news, and it just does not get any worse. So let's unpack this. Verse 1, it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So technically, the word, the pronoun you, Technically, it refers to those who are followers of Jesus, referring to their life prior to their conversion as a follower of Christ. In general terms, the you there refers to anyone and everyone who is outside of Christ. So anyone who lives apart from Christ, anyone who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is who the you is referring to. So the question that this text begs is, are, which you are you? Are you a you who was formerly dead, or are you a you that is currently dead? Verse 1, it tells us there that those that are outside of Christ, those who are currently dead, they're not sick, they are dead. And contrary to what the princess bride would tell us, there's no such thing as mostly dead. They're 
fully spiritually dead. People are either spiritually dead or spiritually alive. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground there. So something that is physically dead cannot respond to physical stimuli. It's dead. It's the same thing with someone who happens to be spiritually dead. We cannot respond to God. We don't understand God. We can't appreciate God. We can appreciate the things of God. And the reason being is that we are, as that verse says, in sin. We are in our trespasses and our sin. We are in sin and we are guilty before God. We are this alienated from God. We are hostile toward God. We are separated from God who is spirit. We are spiritually dead. So we are, or we were, spiritually dead, depending on which you you are. So we are, or were, spiritually dead because of those trespasses and sins, as verse 1 says. The word trespasses doesn't get used very often, so let me, let me define that. Trespasses means false steps. That's the easiest way to think of that word, false steps, uh, deviating from godliness, So God has a a path, a road, a way for us. So trespassing is off-roading. This is what God wants us to do. Here's how he wants us to live. And so we go off-roading. We are trespassing into areas in conduct that God doesn't want for us. That is trespassing. So then it says the word sin. So sin is anything and everything which contradicts the heart of God, the mind of God, the will of God, the ways of God, or the glory of God. So basically, any thought, word, deed, action, behavior, or attitude that is contrary to the character of God Almighty is a sin. I'm going to say that again. Every word, deed, thought, action, behavior, or attitude that contradicts the character of God is a sin. And according to verse 2, folks, not only are we dead in our trespasses and dead in our sins, we walk in them. To walk in something means to live in it, okay? The, the dead, what it says is that the spiritually dead walk like dead people, which makes sense. Zombies walk like zombies. Whether they're of the fast variety or of the slow variety, zombies walk like zombies. They, they stagger, they, they stumble, they, they moan. Unless it's a Michael Jackson zombie, and then they can moonwalk, which is a neat trick. The spiritually dead walk in sin because, folks, for the spiritually dead, sin is home. What that verse 1 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's home. That means that it's the dead person's habitat. It's comfortable. It's like a lukewarm bath. It's like a worn-out shoe that just fits just right. So those who are dead in their sin, it's, it's home. You know, a, a coffin, we don't like to think of a coffin. You know, it, it's a place of death and darkness and decay. But for the corpse, that's home. That's what this verse is saying, that for those who are spiritually dead, just walking in sin, that's, that's home. It's, it, it's okay to live a life in contradiction of the God who created us because that, I don't know any different. That's, that's just what I, that's my habitat, my, my atmosphere, my context. So what it's telling us is that we are born into a condition in which we are in sin and we can't help but walk in it. Sounds bad. Okay? 
it gets worse. In verses 2 and 3, it tells us that while the spiritually dead think that they are in control of their lives, those who are spiritually dead are in fact controlled by three forces. The world, the devil, and the flesh. Number one there. The spiritually dead can't help but follow the course of this world. In verse 2. Can't help but follow the course of this world. The, the, the things of this world exert this massive gravitational force upon, upon us. This worldly belief, worldly philosophy, worldly stuff is always, always yanking us back down. Yanking us down. Okay, apart from Christ, it is not possible to break free from the gravitational force of this world. So this is use a physical example. I won't do it here to actually embarrass myself. But imagine that I jumped me and my two and a half inch vertical. Right. Like and I'm up in the air for a whopping, I don't know, 0.2 seconds. Right. What have I accomplished? Nothing. Because gravity has such a grip on me that it's just going to yank me back down. Or even if I'm Zion Williamson and I can jump, have a 48-inch vertical, so what? He's going to get yanked down even harder, right? Like the, the world, this world we live in just pulls us down. It's gravity. Well, spiritually, apart from Christ, we cannot break free of the immoral values of this world. Just by our very nature, our sinful way, you cannot break free of it. You don't have anything in you that can outleap the force that the world is pulling and, and pulling you down in. Unbelievers are slaves to the sinful lifestyle of this world. Slaves to it. Can't help but follow it. It's our default operating system. Just walk around the world. Everyone conforms to the world. No one on their own conforms to God. No one. We conform to the things of the world. So it's, it's, we can't help but follow it, follow this stuff all around us. And the second thing that controls us, it says that the spiritually, spiritually dead in verse 2, can't help but follow the prince of the power of the air, which is a reference to Satan. But we're in the 21st century. And Rick, now you're just talking nonsense. Because we're Americans, and we've been enlightened beyond such concepts as the existence of the devil. Folks, do not, do not be deceived into thinking that the devil is not real. Absolutely real. I'm going to quote here uh, Baudelaire, who a uh, famous writer. He wrote this French story called The Generous Gambler. And he said in that little short story, The loveliest trick of the devil is to persuade you that he does not exist. If the devil can convince us that he's not there, he can own us. The devil is real, a powerful being, once like the chief of God's angels rebelled against God, and now his MO is a he's a lion prowling around looking for people to destroy and to devour. The, the very fact that it says here that he is the prince of the power of the air means that he is the leader over the spiritual forces of darkness that are at work in this world, wreaking havoc, opposing God, opposing God's purposes. So this 
entity, this being, who does not even remotely compare to God. He's a created being, right? Like he doesn't rival God at all. But compared to us, he is superior in his power and strength. He is energetically at work, him and his demonic army, to make what is already bad and make it worse. Okay? He's busily engaged, controlling those who are spiritually dead. And trying, attempting to influence those who are spiritually alive, which is the topic of spiritual warfare, which as a teaser we're getting into in a couple of weeks. So keep coming. I'm not going to tell you which week. So a few years ago, me and Jamie drove up to New Jersey, and we, we were coming back. We were on I-95, and we passed this pickup truck, and it had a bumper sticker on it, www.issatanyourpimp.com. And we drove, and we both saw it at the same time and said it out loud and kind of did a double take and laughed. And the, the, I looked it up yesterday. Just, it's, still, it's not there. The, the website doesn't exist anymore. But that day, she pulled up her phone and looked it up. And there, sure enough, there was a website, issatanyourpimp.com. And on the, on the home page of it was a cartoon of the devil dressed like a pimp, like 70s style. You know what I'm saying? The cane and the aquarium shoes. So, folks, what, what is a pimp? Do you know what a pimp is? A pimp exploits people. Exploits those in the stable. Exploits the clients. A pimp lives off of the dirty earnings of others. And this is, this is like a hard thing for me to say, and it's a hard thing to hear, but it's just the fact. Those who are spiritually dead have a pimp, and his name's the devil. And he is controlling, and he's manipulative, and he is abusive, and he is hateful. And he doesn't want any good for anyone. He just wants to advance his cause at your expense and everyone's expense. Is that not an ugly thought? With a pimp walking around. The third thing that the text tells us, and this is in verse 3, the spiritually dead are controlled by the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So this particular force that exerts control is different than the other two. So the first two, the world and the devil, are forces from the outside. Folks, this one actually is worse because it's from the inside. It's us. It exists in, in us, uh, the flesh. Here, the flesh does not refer to the physical human body. Folks, the physical human body is not in and of itself evil or wrong or bad. Jesus had one, okay? And as far as I know, he still does because when he ascended up, it says we'll see him come back down the way he went up. So he went up with the body. So he's coming back. Now, granted, it was a glorified imperishable body, right? And we'll have that. But my point is that the flesh in and of itself is not evil. What it's referring to here really is the, the sinful heart or the sinful nature with which we're born into. The flesh is that corrupted sinful human nature that's always seeking to produce godlessness. It's that itch that's always, always there. You know what I'm talking about? That little itch that always like it's begging, can you scratch it? Can you scratch this itch? The, the, the flesh is that powder keg inside of us just dying for a spark 
to explode into sin. It's always craving, like just drooling over, can we, can we disobey God? Can we disregard God? Let's just do our thing. Let's just do it our way. Do it with whoever we want to. Do it whenever we want to. Let's just do our thing. And it's there, and it's, it's ominous, and it's inside of us, and it's screaming out us from the inside. Is that not a picture of, like, bondage? What it is? You realize that that's literally spiritual addiction? We are, by nature, addicted to the things that seek to destroy us. We are addicted and compelled and attracted to the things that would hurt us and everyone around us. Folks, that's our legacy. That's what it means to be human. Relentlessly pursuing evil, relentlessly inventing evil, relentlessly pursuing it and producing it, imagining it, it. See, the only reason we're not as bad as we could be and the only reason we dare think that we're actually better than we are is because we just don't go through with all the stuff that goes through our head. And it's not because we're good. It's simply because we're cowards. I would give them a piece of my mind, but I might lose my job. So I'm just going to, you want the, what I would like to do with them? I guess I can't because I might get caught. I'm saying, like we imagine, folks, if we could actually let it out of the box, could you imagine how awful that would be? So we're walking in sin, it's controlling us, it's talking about those who are spiritually dead, and it's on account of carrying out the desires of the flesh that verse 3 says that those who are spiritually dead are children of wrath. Children of wrath. This is like the final stroke in this portrait of bad news. Those who are dead in sin are objects of God's wrath. They stand condemned before God. They're worthy of judgment. Uh, they're liable to God. And you have to know that this is not vindictive. God is not vindictive. This is just holy. This is righteous. It is just. It can't be any other way. If God were not just and righteous in condemning sin, he would not be God. He couldn't be trusted. He would be capricious. We couldn't trust him. He'd be fickle. No, our God, you have to be, know this, and you need to be certain of this. God is holy, and he will not, and he cannot stand by when those he created in his image act unrighteously and show disdain toward him something has to happen you know we always say that that the unbeliever you know oh, you need to have a relationship with god and i get it and i know what we mean but guess what those who are spiritually dead do in fact have a relationship with god a relationship with his wrath folks is that bad news I can't imagine worse. I cannot imagine worse news, spiritually dead, headed to judgment. There is this uncanny similarity between us and seeds. Uh, it's taught that seeds, you know, we're getting close to spring, so you guys are going to be planting stuff. It, it, we're told that seeds are dormant. Uh, but the truth is that this dormant state that a seed is in uh, it's, it's so dormant that it's actually technically, literally a dead, inanimate object. Seeds are in such a, I'm going to use a big word here, in such a high state of desiccation 
that botanists themselves, botanists themselves don't use the word dormant when they're talking about seeds. They use the word quiescent. Quiescent means latent. It means without symptoms. It means inactive. So here's a quote out of a botany textbook. Scientists, non-believers, this is worldly people saying this. In this quiescent state, the very minimum of operative functions of life at the cellular level are non-existent. It's quiescent. A.K.A., folks, it's dead. It's dead. They cannot measure any biological life at any level at the cellular level at all. It is a dead, inanimate object. So by nature, both us and seeds are dead. We were born spiritually dead, so we're devoid of spiritual life. Seeds are devoid of spiritual life, right? They, they're, they're dead, inanimate objects. Well, here's the other thing that's similar between us and seeds. We are not meant to remain dead. Seeds are produced to produce life. Seeds are meant to come alive and to grow. It's the same way with us. We're made in the image of God not to be spiritually dead, but to come alive and to grow and to grow. And this, folks, is where we enter the good news. God has made it possible for the dead, for the dead to come to life. It's extraordinary. Look at verses 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Verse 4, verse 4, the greatest conjunction in the history of conjunctions, but, but God being rich in mercy. Let me tell you something. God is not merciful. He is rich in mercy. His mercy is his active compassion that arises to us out of his divine generosity. The kindness of God, that's his mercy, the kindness of God to spare us from what it is that we do in fact deserve. This is mercy that God Almighty is willing to forgive sinners. Willing, able, wanting to forgive us. Is that not extraordinary? The reason that he's merciful to us, it tells us in those verses, is not because of his love, because of his great love, because of his great love. Folks, here's the technical definition of love. You ready? Textbook. To seek the highest good for a person. I don't find that compelling and I don't find that helpful. And I've come to the opinion that you actually cannot define the word love. I think you can describe it. It's Jesus on the cross. It is God nailed to a cross, taking your sin and your burden and your shame and your guilt 
taking all of your failures and saying, I will take that away from you. I will take that off of you. I'm going to give myself over to the death that you deserve. I don't want you to have judgment. I don't want you to have wrath. I want you to be spared. I love you that much. I'm willing to let them nail me to a cross. I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to pretend as if I committed it. And that's how the Father's going to look at it. And he's going to do what has to be done that you may be shielded forever and ever. Is that not love? Folks, I can't define it. I can only, I can only describe it as the Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lovingly sacrificing himself on the cross. It is God willing to die for the ungodly. That is what love is. Is that not extraordinary? And the reason that God shows mercy and love to us, look at verse 5, is to make us alive to make us alive together with Christ. God's love and mercy is what gives us life, not just any life. It gives us extraordinary life. Look at verse 6. Through this life, we are raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. We who were born dead in our sin, we who were controlled by the world and controlled by the devil and controlled by the sinful flesh and on a collision course with almighty God's wrath, we who were born into that condition are now given a new status. We are now citizens of heaven. Folks, that is the greatest rags to riches story ever told. They're not amazing and extraordinary that God would lift us. This world, this graveyard it's not our home anymore in Christ. Our home is with Him. It's with our Lord. And, and this text just crescendos at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Folks, this is the climax not only of this text but of all of history, that all who place their faith in Jesus Christ are forgiven of all sin, receive a brand new life, and we are ensured to spend all of eternity, where then God will spend all of eternity showering us with kindness for all of eternity. Extraordinary? Extraordinary? This is what God has done for us, what God has done in us, what God has promised to us, all because of his mercy and because of his love. Folks, extraordinary. A seed cannot come to life on its own. You know this? That seed, there's nothing in the seed that allows it to come to life by itself. It can only come to life when the, ex, the perfect external elements and factors and conditions are there. It's at the mercy of these things outside of it. So you have to have adequate oxygen and the right soil and the right soil temperature and the right amount of moisture and water. Conditions have to be perfect. But when these external forces are perfectly applied, the miraculous happens. What is a dead inanimate object springs to life? Is that any different than the gospel? We're the same way. 
We, we must have these perfect conditions outside of us who are spiritually dead. They're present in order to bring us into spiritual viability. Like a seed, we require something outside of ourselves. And that something is God's divine mercy and God's love. And when it is applied, life extraordinary life and God freely abundantly offers everything the forces the conditions the element everything that we need to have eternal abundant blessed extraordinary life and verses 8 and 9 tell us how we receive it this extraordinary life that we receive is a gift of God folks it's a gift It is by the grace of God. It is not by our doing. You can't earn it. You can't work your way up the ladder up to it. You don't deserve it in any shape, form, or fashion. You read the verses that we just went over. There's no way. The only way we can receive this grace is if God just freely offers it. That's what grace is. It's God acting favorably toward us who do not deserve it. And he's simply doing it because he has chosen to love us. Because of his rich mercy. Because of his great love. And that it's through faith that we receive it simply means that faith is the means by which we grab it. That's all it means. That that it's by faith simply means that it's us getting to that place where we finally are willing to, to be honest and humble ourselves and say, Lord, I cannot save myself. Look at my life. Look at my track record. I'm clearly ungodly. I've, been, I've spent my life pursuing the things of the world, rejecting God. Clearly, I can't get there on my own. And I want to go to heaven, but that's a perfect place. I can't get there on my own. So it's getting to that place of humility and honesty. Where it's like, Lord, I can't, but you did. You made the way. That's faith. Getting to that point, faith is our heart reaching to grab what it is that God offers So, folks, I I ask you, which you are you? Are you a you who was formerly dead, or are you a you that is in that condition right now? Are you dead in your sin, and are you walking in it? Are you controlled by the world and the devil and the flesh? Are you on a collision course with judgment? And if you're here, please be honest. If that's you, be honest. Not to me, with yourself and with the Lord. Just be honest. And just know that it need not be that way. For God offers extraordinary grace that you may enter into a brand new extraordinary life. And folks, it's so simple. You believe. Just believe. Believe in his love. Believe that it was given through his son. Confess to the Lord that you are in fact a sinner. You don't get surprised him. He already knows. Just asking you to come clean. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've failed. I've done wrong. But I don't want to go down that path. I want this new path. I want what you freely, graciously offer. I want this new life. I want forgiveness. So repent of your sin. Turn away from it. Say, Lord, I no longer want sin to to be my value system. I don't want it to define me anymore. I want something new. I want you, Lord. I want grace. I want this life. Give yourself over to follow him and reach out in faith. And if you do that, you will be united to Christ. Forgiven, new life, 
race to walk in newness of life. A new existence, a new status, citizen of heaven. If you just reach out and grab what God with an open hand is offering to each and every one of us this morning, folks. That is extraordinary. God's extravagant mercy and love and grace freely given to a bunch of people who don't deserve it. Is that not extraordinary? Shockingly amazing. So if you're here, I hope that you understand that when we say good news, that's stopping short. This is the goodest good news of all possible good news. This should never get old to us. We should never get used to it. It should shock us every day. Every day. It should compel us every day to live not an ordinary, I'm tired life, an extraordinary life of power and joy and passion and purpose with meaning. May this serve as a reminder. I, I, I mean, I've, I've had my fill. I'm getting all emotional. I, this, may we make it a habit to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day. This is how we combat that spiritual apathy and that spiritual dullness that we're so prone to. Recite this good news to yourself each and every day. Basically, feed on God's grace every day. Supplement with the truth of his love and his mercy each and every day. And let that raise your spiritual temperature. Let your your love for the Lord increase as a result of just being nourished by this diet and this supplementation of the gospel in your life. May you worship God with greater conviction. May you serve him with greater energy. Oh, heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, every part of you, strength. Serve him who loves you. And there's one other thing. If this is good news, folks, this cannot be kept silent. May this reminder today compel us to go and share. This cannot be kept quiet. In two weeks, we're going to be raving over the new Marvel movie that just came out. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? I'm going to go see it. (laughs) If I get excited about something trivial like that, how much more the extraordinary grace of God to tell everyone, do you know it? Do you know it? Have you seen it? Have you tasted it? Have you feasted of it? Let me bring you a portion here. Let me tell you about Christ. Help others to feed upon this good news. So I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes, bow your head. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a closing song. And we're going to do something that we typically don't do this morning. So all heads bow, all eyes closed. We're going to have a good old-fashioned altar call this morning. And I'm going to ask that during this closing song, if there's anyone in this room who has heard this message, and if you're here and you're like, I have never, ever given my life to Jesus, would you do so right now? And I'm, it's not that walking forward seals the deal. It's just that sometimes just taking a step helps us to seal the deal for us personally to make the public profession 
And it's not that I'm going to say anything special other than I'm going to rejoice with you and I'm going to pray for you. So is that you this morning? Are you someone who's like, I've heard the gospel. I've heard the gospel. I've been around it. But I've never given myself over to it. Folks, is that you? This is the day of salvation. During this last song, I would even say, maybe you are a follower of Christ, you've given your heart to him, but you've let this news get old. And so you need to confess that to the Lord. Lord, I've let the greatest news ever. I've gotten used to it, and it hasn't really excited me for a while. Help me, Jesus, to make this real. And I would say, like, even stand up and come forward, and maybe we'll kneel up here and recommit and rededicate our lives to him and re-entrench our heart in the gospel news. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I know exactly who God wants me to share this news with. And God is putting that person on your heart. And right now you need to commit that you're going to go and share the gospel with him. So how do you need to respond today? In Jesus' name, amen.